The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Totally Useless Information Podcast with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Today on the show, we're going to talk about these topics. Science. How about some food? We'll open up the mailbag. And we're going to introduce a brand new topic. Fashion. And of course, geography. So listen, laugh, and learn. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. The Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. Look out, cover your Bunsen burners, get your beakers out, we have our lab coats ready. Einstein was a moron, Newton was a jerk, he equals nothing, it's science, science, science. This week on the show, I'm going to introduce some uh, science jobs that are available out there. So, once again here on the show, we are looking out for you, the listener. If you need a job, we are here to help you find one in the field of science, okay? If you're interested to become a scatologist, okay? A scatologist. Do you know, Roy, what that is by chance? Sounds like a shitty job to me. The scientific study of excrement. <laughs> How the hell did I even know that? Okay. So it is the, but it's the scientific study of excrement. It can tell the scientists a lot about an animal, including its habits, overall health, and presence of disease. The contents of an animal's poop can reveal its diet, which tells scientists where the animal has been. The bacteria in the poop provide a sampling of an animal's gut, flora, and fauna, which determines its health. The study of poop has led to advances in human medicine, it's all, you know, this, there's a good reason. For example, poop transplants can be a, an effective means of treating intractable gut infections by reestablishing a healthy bacteria equilibrium. And then putting it back in? Mm-hmm. Take it out, they mess with it, and they shove it right back in. That's right. Up the old, what did you call it? The old poop chute. In previous shows, you know, we had a fact that hot water froze faster than cold water. I think you brought that up. Yes, I did. But would it actually happen the opposite way? Would it happen with cold water? Would cold water heat up faster than hot water? And yes, it's true. And if you remember, it was called the M-P-E-M-B-A. It was called the Mephembi effect. But of course... When you're doing cold to hot, it's called the reverse Membi effect. So yes, hot water freezes faster than cold water, but cold water heats up faster than hot water. It's it's Figure reverse. Yeah, it's the reverse. That big word you said just confused myself. Here's another. I'm still thinking about them packing the poop back up. It's a poop transplant. 
there's also a yeah, job. You know, mm-hmm. There's a lot of jobs available in logging. Yes. <laughs> you mean when you write things down? Come, uh, <laughs> um, you can become a laughter therapist, which is why you're listening to the show. Laughter is the best medicine, or at least the best therapy. Laughter has been found to reduce stress and boost the immune system. So as you see, as you're listening to our show, totally use this information with Nick and Rory. We're actually helping you get healthier, okay, mm-hmm. through laughter, yeah. among other benefits, okay? Now, laughter therapists aim to make patients chuckle, but they don't use jokes or comedy or our show. Instead, they lead, <laughs> they lead exercises that help people connect with the deep, joyful laughter that babies experience. Therefore, that's how they prove that laughter can be the best therapy. Well, anybody that finds our show funny has a lot more to worry about than that. <laughs> they, need, they need a lot of therapy. If helium is brought to absolute zero, that's a negative 460 degree Fahrenheit or a negative 273 Celsius for you Canucks, it becomes a liquid that defies gravity. It's called a superfluid. It flows without any friction at all, and it can climb up a cup's wall, up the side of a cup, and over and then down again. Freaky. Okay? If, if it starts to flow because it has zero friction against it and does not obey the laws of gravity, it will never stop unless something got in its way. So it would continuously flow forever because it has no friction. So basically kind of like my trips to the bathroom at night. <laughs> yes. It's flowing and never stops. <laughs> uh, you can also become... As, as I'm um, featuring science jobs in the science portion of our show today, fermentation scientists, beer, wine, bread, cheese, pickles, yogurt, all of these foods are made by fermentation, process by which yeast or bacteria convert sugars to acids, gases, or alcohol. Fermentation scientists or zymologists study how these microorganisms can be used in the fermentation process such as beer brewing. Louis Pasteur, you know Louis, good old Lou, Lou Pasteur, was the first zymologist discovering that yeast led to fermentation. Some universities even have programs now where students can major in fermentation scientists. And I would imagine it comes with a case of beer. I was just going to say, they're making liquor all day long in the science lab. A solar flare has the strength of 100 megaton atomic bombs. 100 atomic bombs. Okay? Exploding all at the same time. So think about that. One small solar flare is like 100 Hiroshima's all at the same time. Okay? So, next time we as humans or scientists think that we're so damn cool, remember God invented the bomb first (laughs) okay and his is bigger and stronger and better you're listening to totally useless information with nick and roy throw away your totally useless gps it's time for geography so get lost 
with Nick and Roy. Oh yeah, coming up in just a few moments, we have a brand new topic. As voted by you, we actually had a request for this, so we'll tell you all about it, a brand new topic. But right now, we're going around the world, and to start us off, here's Roy. Yes, Greece. What a beautiful place, Mykonos and all those, uh, what, Santorini. Beautiful. Greece is gorgeous. Well, the Greeks have a national anthem, and it has 158 verses to it. Now, what? they're still searching the country to find somebody that knows the whole damn thing. But just could you <laughs> imagine the guy that wrote this song? Okay, 158 verses. He probably started when he was like 16. And at 102, he was like, I think I finally got it. <laughs> Opa! <laughs> oh, no, at his age, it was, ooh, oh, poo. Uh, <laughs> Opa, I just pooped well, myself. <laughs> well, you know why he lasted so long? Because he ate lots of Greek yogurt. Antarctica is the largest desert in the world. Desert. Desert. Not dessert, desert. Did you hear that, folks? Antarctica is a desert, and Nick is going to tell us why. So, but not only just the desert, it's the largest desert in the world. When you picture a desert, you probably imagine lots of sun and sand. Mm -hmm. But the definition of a desert is really just an area of land that doesn't get more than 10 inches of precipitation a year. With that definition in mind, the world's largest desert is Antarctica. The Antarctic Polar des Desert, I almost said desert, I almost said polar desert, mm -mm. available at Dairy Queen. Uh, the Antarctic Polar Desert covers five and a half million square miles, and its water is mostly locked in glaciers and ice sheets, leaving little for plants and animals. This is one of those things where you can, you can actually win a bet. I bet you that Antarctica is the largest desert in the world. You can win lots of, uh, I don't know, a drink or money or something. Yeah, and then you can find a life, too. <laughs> the place yes. with the shortest name on the planet, there's two of them, they can be found in Norway and Sweden. There's two places, and it's called A, the letter A, meaning in Scandinavian, river. The letter A, or saying A, means river. Or, you know what I mean, in Canada. <laughs> yes. like, A, we spell it E-H. Right. A. But they spell, actually, actually e there are two places on the globe called A. A. <laughs> All right. Very good. Maybe they were starting to name the country, and then they just ran out. They just lost their train of thought. We're going to name it A... They were and like, that's how they wrote it. Let's name that place A. Hold on, I got a good verse for the Greek uh, national anthem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 159. <laughs> the Diomede Islands are made up of Big Diomede, owned by Russia, and Little Diomede, owned by the United States. Mm. While they're only two and a half miles apart, they sit on opposite sides of the international date line. Thus, they have a 21-hour time difference between them. This is why they're named Tomorrow and Yesterday Island. Oh, because the line meets there? That's right. They sit on opposite sides of the international date line. Oh. So that's why they're nicknamed Tomorrow and then Yesterday. 
it would be really confusing when you tell your friend, listen, I'm going to meet you today at the Tomorrow Island, but if you meet me yes, at yesterday island tomorrow, then I'll go the day after the Tomorrow Island. Exactly. You could say, listen, meet me tomorrow at 6 o'clock right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, that was so yesterday. <laughs> Hold on. Jump over. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Hey, you're here now. Wow, that's pretty confusing, but cool. Yes. Okay, because of tropical depressions and hurricanes, which normally form off the continent of Africa, and trust me, I live in Florida. I know what the hell a hurricane is, and it sucks. I mm. hated Irma. I hate the name Irma now because of it. But because they form off the coast of Africa, it is not uncommon for folks in Florida, if they take their Swiss Swifter duster and check it out, you will find dust from Africa. The dust wow. is carried over by these tropical depressions. So at a time like this, when one just passed us, there is a chance that the atmosphere had African dust in it. So crazy, right? Now you wonder how diseases travel, right? Two for one special. Pheasant Island is located in the river Betasoa, and it's owned by Spain and France. For six months of the year, it's under Spanish rule, and for the following six months, it's under French rule. The island is uninhabited and closed to the public. So imagine, this island is split by two countries. Six months by Spain and six months by France. Your favorite people. Yeah, but if they jumped from island to island, they'd be like, Yo, bastards, we own the island. And they'd be like, look, you do not own anything. <laughs> it's six o'clock in the morning. No, it's not. It's six in the evening. <laughs> Make up your mind. Oh, uh-oh. And now for something completely useless. The Citrus Soda 7-Up was created in 1929. 7 was selected after the original 7-ounce containers, and the Up in the name 7-Up was for the direction of the bubbles. Cool. That's the one, Nick. That's the one people are going to say. So say it again. The 7-ounce container. 7-Up was, seven seven. was created in 1929. The 7 was selected after the original 7-ounce container and the up for the direction of the bubbles. But wait, hang on. And now for something completely useless. I'm sorry, but this week I'm double dipping. I couldn't resist this. Cats can hear ultrasound. They can hear higher pitch sounds more than humans can, or most dogs actually, detecting frequencies from 55 to 79 kilohertz. Cats do not use this ability to hear ultrasound for communication. But it's probably important in hunting, since many species of rodents make ultrasonic calls. The one thing I found out about these our feline friends, they can't even hear cat scans. <laughs> Very funny. So if you'd like to get a hold of us, our email address is really easy. Useless at nickandroy.com. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Yeah, 
mailbag. Also, they can just go on nickandroy.com and leave us a message on nickandroy.com. It's so easy, our website. Plus, it's real cool, our website. Carol from San Francisco, California writes, Love your show. You guys are so funny! Exclamation point. There mustn't be any more comedy clubs in California anymore because she finds us funny. (laughs) But... She says, could you do a new category for uh, all the ladies on fashion? And I called Nick up right after I read this, and I was like, what a great idea. So, Carol, as you can see, we take our mailbag very seriously. We're going to give it a try, but asking Nick and I to talk about fashion is like asking a five-year-old about politics. We're both colorblind and fashionability, well, challenged. If we weren't so damn good-looking, we'd really have problems. (laughs) So, without further ado, we bring you Carol's new segment. Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Fashion Show. Nick is sporting a knockout pair of Wrangler jeans. Roy is wearing a breezy, ripped Iron Maiden t-shirt. The fancy pumpkin beret finishes his ensemble. (laughs) Hey, pumpkin beret? Boy, she doesn't know you love the French so much. So, Carol, since we're doing fashion now, a brand new topic here on Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, so thank you. The oldest item of clothing ever is the loincloth. Loincloth? usually a rectangular piece of cloth draped around the hips and the groin. One of the earliest forms of clothing, it is derived perhaps from a narrow band around the waist, and quite decorative pendants were hung in strategic places, I imagine. So the loincloth is the oldest item of clothing in the world. Well, I hate to seem like a bragger, but mine uh, went down to my knee for protection. (laughs) And it wasn't the ornaments that were hanging. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're not conceited. You're convinced. Right. It wasn't called an ornament. I called it the family jewels. <laughs> Women spend millions on makeup, and, uh, and a few men do that as well. But did you know, ladies, that it was good old King Tut that made eyeliner popular? And it wasn't that he made it popular when he was alive. In 1922, when his tomb was discovered, we got to see what what he would look like from his tomb for the first time. And there was a lot of eyeliner on their eyes. And it became a new craze in 1924. Eyeliner became the big craze because of King Tutankhamun. King Tut, look out. Vogue magazine started life as a New York Society magazine. It was born in 1892. It was the brainchild of author Baldwin Turner, who founded it as a weekly newspaper focusing around the ceremonial side of life. It was a publication that attracted the, quote, sage as well as debutante, men of affairs, as well as the bell. Vogue magazine since 1892. So Vogue magazine was originally for men as well? For men who were uh, men of affairs. 
So they probably outed all these men. Maybe it was one of those. <laughs> There's websites for that now. What is it called? Uh, what the hell is that website with it? Dolly Madison. Yeah, something like that. Not Dolly Madison. Something Madison. I I agree. Ashley Madison. Right. Oh, <laughs> Ashley. How Nick knew that? I have no idea. But my wife is clearly safe because I had no idea what it was called. <laughs> you claim ignorance, right? These are two guys, you and I are doing this fashion segment where our wives are the one who dress us. They they lay the clothes on the bed for us. Nick, I do not have to claim influence. I've already taken a competency test. I know I'm ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they told you. Oh, wow. Napoleon Bonaparte, the Calvin mm -hmm. Klein of his time. Yes. Okay, ever wonder why men have useless buttons on their sleeves. You ever look at a sport coat and it has buttons, like four buttons on each sleeve at the end by the cuff? Yeah, they're not spare buttons? It, it, no. It's because of Napoleon. He was tired. Get ready for this, folks. This is another one you're going to tell everybody. He was tired of watching his troops when he would inspect the troops. He would see them rubbing their arm, their sleeve on their nose to wipe their nose that was running. And he said, I'm sick of watching these guys use their sleeve as a, as a, a napkin. So I want buttons put on it so they can't do it so that they would hurt their nose if they did it. So he ordered buttons put on every uniform to prevent them from... You know, and, and of course, it, it became a craze. And, uh, that's so the next time you look at your sports jacket, you can look at the buttons and you can thank Napoleon for that. Isn't that crazy? And then ask for a hanky. Right. I use the uh, inside liner of the jacket to blow my nose. Yes. <laughs> Elena Bodner uh, won a Nobel Prize. The idea, she says, the idea of a simple and readily available mask came to me after Chernobyl nuclear accident in Ukraine. So she developed this emergency face mask. Recently, at Harvard University, she was awarded the Ig Nobel Prize for Public Health for inventing the emergency bra, an item of lingerie that, in case of an emergency, can be quickly transformed into two protective respiratory face masks. Hmm, that's interesting. So there's like this nuclear, it's a, it's a plus, because think about it, there's a nuclear disaster, all of a sudden this woman pulls her shirt off, takes her bra off, hands you one out of half of the bra, she's still huh? completely uncovered, and you now are living your life breathing properly. How wonderful <laughs> yes. is that? So, of course, I scoured the internet and got some audio. No, no. It is important to mention that it takes only 25 seconds for average woman to use this protective personal device. Five seconds to remove, convert, and apply her own mask. And 20 seconds to wonder who the lucky man is she's going to save. Notice what she said. Mm -hmm. You never wonder. Huh? Maybe she was thinking of the wonder bra. I'm not sure. So what would she say? It takes five seconds to remove the bra. I can do it in four. We used to have a face cover for certain girls in high school. We called it a bag. <laughs> <laughs> in case of emergency, put this bag over her head. Bag over your head. And then we had one for ourselves. 
<laughs> because we didn't want anybody to know we were with that person. High heels. My wife sports the sexiest high heel shoes almost every day. I'm married to her for 30 something years. She's worn heels just about every day. She plays tennis in, in, a, in a six inch pump. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know that larger heels were not invented for women? They were invented for men. Men sported the larger heel so that their foot wouldn't slip through the stirrup because cowboys had to lasso cows and shoot from the saddle. So they had to not worry about their foot slipping out so they could use the heel so that they could rest their foot on the heel and not slip through the, through the um, stirrup. So it's cowboys mm-hmm. that made high heels fashionable. Listening to totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Your weekly sweet and savory facts of totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Come and get it! If you think really carefully, this is going to be a segue, okay? Mm-hmm. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? It's a heavily debated topic. Exactly how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? To me, this is probably one of the most brilliant marketing ploys because you had everyone buying these Tootsie Pops to see how many licks it takes to get to the center to get a Tootsie Pop, right? You remember the animal? You remember the animal that was the cartoon commercial? You know what? I can't say that I do. So enlighten us. What was the animal in the in the cartoon and the commercial? Owl. It was an owl, and the owl said, "How many licks does it take to get to the center of a one, a two, and a?" (laughs) (laughs) Well, they they did a study, and um, it can take anywhere from. 144 to 411 licks. One of those studies that they spent money on, conducted, determined the average was 364 licks. All they had to do was go to like a third grade classroom and rip open a bag and just watch the kids for a little bit. Count them, yes. One, two, three, yeah. Green, yellow, orange, and red bell peppers. Now, I have a pepper plant in my backyard. It has green peppers on it. But if I leave them on long enough, they turn red. So I just assume that peppers are different colors due to the amount of ripening time. But it's not true. Green, in the wild it is. But in in, um, situations growing for public consumption, the green, the yellow, the orange, and the red bell peppers are all from different plant seeds the seeds are genetically uh, changed some are green peppers and some are red and some are orange and they will grow that way but again i can leave mine on they turn from green to red but the ones we buy in the store are grown um in their own color that's really interesting so the next time i see like a rainbow color of, of peppers in the supermarket they all came from different seeds that's pretty cool nutella the wonderful, delicious hazelnut spread is so popular that 25% of all hazelnuts grown in the world wind up in a jar. Think about it. 25% of the crop of hazelnuts end up in a jar of Nutella. Since they're in such high demand, there are some, uni- uni- 
<laughs> since there is such high demand. I had some Nutella stuck on the roof of my mouth. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, get that, go wash that Nutella out of your mouth. Since they're in such high demand, some universities are trying to grow them in labs in order to negate global shortages. So they're growing hazelnuts in university labs. I don't like the world. when scientists play with my nuts. Yes, <laughs> and then spread them. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather not have them play with my nuts, especially don't crush my nuts. Oh, my God. It's as American as apple pie. Well, yes. not, not actually, no. Apple pie, the pie, was invented in medieval England, long before America. And then the Dutch perfected it by putting that wonderful lattice top on it and making it slightly sweeter. It was, uh, that, that's before we stole it, okay, at gunpoint. And we said, turn over your apple pie. Turn over. <laughs> I guess you'd call it an apple turnover. <laughs> it, it's pretty interesting. You got right to the core of the matter. <laughs> Eskimos use refrigerators to stop their food from freezing. So think about that. Think about where Eskimos live. Right? They just don't plug it in. <laughs> no, no, no. They do. And, it's, and, the, and it's, this is a really cool reason why, yes, pun was intended. You ever notice that when people say pun not intended? In this case, the pun is 100% intended. This is a cool thing. Eskimos use refrigerators to stop their food from freezing. You don't think they would need anything to keep their food cold in the Arctic, but it's exactly the opposite. In order to prevent food from freezing, because that's how cold it is up there, yeah. Eskimos need refrigerators to keep it from getting too cold. But that don't make sense, Nick, because if that was the case, they would never get to use what was inside the refrigerator because they'd freeze to death on the outside. Either that or they'd get in the fridge. <laughs> They've been sleeping with the, the multicolored peppers in the fridge. It does make sense, I guess. What I want to know is, do they freeze their Eskimo pies? Yes. Okay, we're back on food. An oyster must be kept alive or they'll spoil very quickly. You're not really supposed to eat a dead oyster unless it died instantaneously and then you ate it. But really, mm -hmm. oysters need to be kept alive, otherwise they go bad. So, needless to say, when you eat an oyster, it's still alive. Alive, it's... I say! Oh, <laughs> think about it, Nick. Oh, the humanity of it. This poor living oyster. You stick them in your mouth and you slurp them in. Ah! Chew them a couple of times. You got me in the mood for some oysters now. I'm going to go get some. Is that okay? Sure. And then we could do a sex topic. <laughs> you know why the oysters are um, so uh, much of an aphrodisiac? Because they're loaded with zinc. They're one of the highest contents of zinc. And zinc is an aphrodisiac. It helps a man create sperm and semen. We're going to scat right now because that's, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. The audience is going, will you guys scat already? That's all the time we have for this week's episode. We will scour the Internet far and wide for more useless information for you next week. So in the meantime, just go to NickAndRoy.com. That's NickAndRoy.com. 
We'll keep you up to date with all the stuff. You can email us. And guess what, guys? You get on the show. And then you can tell all your friends, hey, my name's on the show. So tell a friend about the trend by sharing and subscribing. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.